0: Hello, welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Caitlin Parsons, and I'm stoked to be with you today. I am so excited to release this conversation. It feels good to say that for this particular episode because to be honest with you, I don't know if I would have released a conversation like this a few years ago. And so I am celebrating my growth as a human being and my own journey with my body in this moment with you, and I hope that you feel so seen and inspired and um, just empowered by the conversation that we are getting in today. I have an amazing guest to bring an important topic to life. I have Gigi Angle on the show, and we are talking all about sex, literally everything that you want to know about sex. I promise you, I did not hold back, or at least I tried to ask every single question that was on my mind as it relates to sex. This felt like such an important conversation for me to bring into this community because When you are experiencing a struggle with your relationship with food or your body, a lot of times it's both things. That is also a relationship with with yourself. And I'm saying this from personal experience too. And when we are in that struggle, our own self-trust really dissipates and our own self-pleasure can feel so distant and not worthy of expression. And so if you are feeling disconnected from sex or if you have a relationship with sex that perhaps feels rooted in shame or embarrassment or guilt or confusion or frustration or anything, Along those lines, you are in such a safe space today. We are here to reframe how we think about sex and really bring it back to a neutral state and a way to express ourselves and a way to uh, just feel more embodied with ourselves and have fun in life and really just come at this from a different different perspective than you may have had in the past. And this is exactly why Gigi is with us today, because she is truly an expert on this topic. I am handing the mic over her today. I am asking her questions because my mind was just brimming with curiosity. And I felt so grateful to be able to literally pick her brain and hear her personal story, which is super powerful um but I'm I'm honored that she's here I am so glad to to share her with you and her wisdom and her work let me tell you a bit more about Gigi before we dive in Gigi Angle A C S C S E C S C is an award winning feminist author certified sex educator and psychotherapist in training As a sex expert with lifestyle condoms, she promotes and teaches about pleasure-based sex education, masturbation, and safer sex practices. Gigi's work regularly appears in many publications, including Cosmopolitan, Marie Claire, Elle Magazine, Teen Vogue, Glamour, and Women's Health. Her articles have been shared over 150 million times. So cool. Ah, okay. Let's just get into it because I, I can't, can't wait for you to hear what Gigi has to say. And I can't wait to hear how this conversation lands with you. Send me an email. If you are feeling called, I'd love to hear just any light bulb moments that are really going off for you around this or any truth that you want to claim for yourself. You can email me at hello at CaitlinParsons.com. And I am with you, sending you so much love and courage for the rest of the week. Here is Gigi Engel. All right, Gigi Engel. Hi, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. Excited for this chat.
0: Me too. So... Can't wait to hear about your personal body image story and all of the work that you're doing now. So let's just dive in. And the first question that we ask everybody on the show is your first body awareness moment. So what did that moment look like for you where you realized I'm in a body? Apparently this means something in the world that I'm living in. Just paint the picture for us around that one single moment and then also how that impacted your relationship with your body, and or food moving forward?
1: Yeah, I mean, there were like, there's, I, can't, I don't know if I can pinpoint like exactly one moment. I just remember being like really little and my parents were, especially my mom was like really quite free with like nudity and just like found bodies quite joyful. So like we used to do this thing when we were really little. Um, where she would like put on Peter, Paul, and Mary, and we would just all dance around naked, like just the kids. And we were like really little, and it was really like innocent and sweet to like puff the magic dragon. And I just remember thinking that bodies were so, there was so much joy to be had in like freeing yourself. And I kind of wish that had stuck with me because like as I had gotten older and was sort of influenced by the media and like eating disorder culture and like the 90s views of like skinny equals power even though that's like still true um I kind of lost some of that and uh I think like becoming interested in sexuality was like a huge moment of a huge time of uh, reclam- reclamation for me because I was able to find so much more joy in my own body and in bodies in general through the uh, exploration of sexual pleasure so I think that that's been quite liberating.
0: When did you find that in your body journey? What what part of what chapter in your life was that?
1: Well, I remember I was like my mom tells the story. She, she tells like she knows every detail. It was really funny. Like when I was really little, I was like a very like sexually curious little child, and she tells this story of like when I was little and I was like pumping one of her like bed posts in her bedroom while all, or all of us were watching Barney or something like that I was like three and she was like oh 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 my and I didn't know what I was doing I was like three years old and she was like okay CD well that's okay that's fine to do but like you have to do that in private and I was like I don't know what that means but whatever I like this and then <laughs> um and then when I was older I, was, yeah, I know. I was like I was like whatever man um, but she was, she handled it really well. Like she wasn't like, oh my God, that's horrible. She was just like, okay, sweetie, like maybe we don't do that. Like in front of everyone, it was really sweet. And then, um, when I got old, like when I was older, um, I just always been really interested in sexuality. I've always found it really, really like fun. And I, like becoming, coming into like a reclamation of it was like when I, I became a writer and I was, uh, I was just had no filter. I've like never had a filter, but been very, very celebrated in my life. With my family to just like be as like filterless as possible and like to just not care what people think um and so when i was writing um i was working for this website and they they would come up with these like very very bizarre like raunchy sex ideas like ideas around sex like how to make your pussy taste different all these like kind of just like bizarre stuff that like millennial like websites will come up with like mostly boys Um, so I was like, I don't give a shit. So I would just write all of these articles and like research them and thought it was like so fascinating. And that was kind of like how I started on this journey.
0: So interesting. I'm always fascinated by how our environments shape the people that we are and the people that we're becoming. And that makes so much sense just growing up in an environment like you're describing and really, um, being encouraged to, to express yourself in this really authentic unapologetic way and then like you're mentioning the influences of our society and diet culture and all of these things getting in the way of that and refinding and rediscovering your uh, your voice it sounds like in your 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 true authentic expression through writing that's that's incredible
1: yeah it was pretty it was pretty magical And like, that's how I just like, I kind of got more and more into sexuality stuff, like as my career was budding. And then I I figured like, I kind of needed, I owed my audience more than I was giving them. Cause like, I was like doing everything from like a journalistic perspective, but sex is like writing about sex is really like a minefield. Like it has to be done so carefully to be good. Otherwise it's like crass and horrible or like poorly researched. And so I was like, I should get certified in sex education. And so I did that. And now I'm studying to be a psychosexual therapist. So just sort of everything moving into bigger things one step at a time as I get further and further entrenched.
0: I have a million questions. My first is how you have noticed any kind of shift in your relationship with your body through this deep dive into sexual exploration.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think... um, you know, I, I still like struggle a lot with like body image uh, stuff. Like I, I, I'm i pretty open about this, but like I had an eating disorder for like a long while, which I still like I'm in recovery from, but like I still have some issues with that. But I found that like I have so much more, I have so much more comfort in my body than I used to because like it, it's such a vessel for pleasure and it has so much potential to make me feel good that I don't know why I should be bogged down in like carrying so much like if I fit into a certain size because like orgasms are amazing and if my body can do all of this then like what is there to be upset about
0: Mm. what when you were in your eating disorder and I appreciate you sharing that part of your story I I know so many people in this community are either currently struggling with an eating disorder or have before know somebody who is so what did your relationship with sexuality look like when you were in the the depths of your eating disorder
1: um I wouldn't really say that it was like affected that much because like at that point um I was like a teenager and I just hadn't had I there was like no sex education when I grew up I mean I don't know if you experienced the same thing no but I like didn't. there was like sex education yeah my mom like is quite was pretty pretty open about sex stuff but like she was, like, grew up with a really militant Catholic mom. And so she didn't really know how to talk about it either. It wasn't that she was like sex shaming. She just like didn't know what to tell me basically. So like I was, you know, a teenager just having like, you know, mediocre teenage sexual experiences because none of us knew what we were doing. Um, so I think, I think really what it was, was like because I didn't feel secure in my body, I used, um, I used sex as a way of acting out um, to like gain, to gain affection and like to gain Mm self-worth. So I think like some of my sexual behaviors when I was like a teenager definitely reflect that like a, like a need to be loved, I guess.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That validation, which I feel like Mm -hmm. is rooted in and true for so many people who struggle with eating disorders. I, I certainly can relate to that myself on a personal level. So becoming a sex educator and getting into this space, what are some things that really stand out to you that you feel like our culture is missing the boat on in terms of education first, and then we'll get into some other things as well too. I really heard you when you said that there's a certain way to, to talk about sex and that you felt like your audience was craving something more for, for, from you. So What are some of your biggest takeaways around what we're missing just in our society at large around sex?
1: I mean, we're missing, I mean, like what aren't we missing? That would be like a way shorter list. (laughs) Um, Seriously. True. I mean, like comprehensive sex education should be mandatory in schools and like parents should be talking to kids about um, body uh, autonomy and like consent and stuff when they start really little, like in the Netherlands, they start talking about consent and body awareness and like agency when they're like in, in, in a kindergarten. And then they have age appropriate sex education as the child mature matures so that they actually have a normal relationship with sex that like, isn't as shameful and taboo. Cause it's like sex itself isn't taboo. It's humans who say it is. And then that's why it is like, it's not inherently bad. I think one of the biggest things that we're missing in schools um, other than just, you know, basic science um, is like, there's no mention of pleasure at all. There's like, Mm -hmm. you never hear it. It's never talked about. All we talk about is this fear-based sexuality education that talks about STIs and pregnancy, no mention of queer relationships or queer sex, no mention of the clitoris, no mention of the fact that 99.9% of the time we have sex because it feels good. Mm -hmm. And we forget so much. We don't mention anything about the joys of sexuality. And that's like, that's really like, that's the crux of what sex is. It's why people love it because it's fun and it feels good.
0: Why do you think it's not taught? Why do you feel like joy and pleasure is left out of sex education?
1: Oh, it's all about fear. It's about the puritanical roots of like our society. That's like, uh, it's got like draconian views about like what pleasure and sex should be, which is like not talking about pleasure because sex shouldn't be pleasure. It's all very heteronormative. It's for baby making. And there's this very pervasive, but incorrect idea that like, if we tell kids that sex feels good, or we mention the word pleasure, that it's going to make kids run out and just have sex all the time. When actually data shows like the exact opposite, the more information you give kids, like the more info they have, the more autonomy they have over their bodies, the the better decisions they make for their own sexual health. And most of the time kids will have sex later because they don't feel the need to go out and do something that like they've been told not to do, because when you tell someone you can't do something, they're going to do it. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're not going to do it safely.
0: Yeah. So what's within your research and just your professional experience and your personal experience as well, too, how do we start incorporating this conversation around pleasure-based sex and joy-based sex? I'm sure a lot of people will hear this message and perhaps feel triggered or offended or really excited and curious about, well how do I start doing this? And where does it start? Does it, I'm, I'm not a teacher. So does this start at like a systemic level level, like in the school system, where do you have, where do you have to start to actually make a change with something like this?
1: Sure. I mean, first of all, if anybody feels really scandalized and offended by this, you need to do your own personal work on yourself because like talking about sex, which is as normal to the human condition as eating or sleeping Should not offend or freak you out. Like it's a normal thing that, like, we all do. We all deserve to have sexual fulfillment in our lives. So if you're feeling very triggered by that, you need to look, say, like, you need to figure your shit out because that's not that's your stuff.
0: I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, I think that's really important. And how can people start figuring their shit out? What's the what's the path of least resistance to just taking a deeper look at that?
1: And there's a lot of ways. I think think the first place to start is to like make an effort to educate yourself. Because the thing is, is like the school system is not going to change anytime soon, probably. Like it's just not going to get comprehensive sex education. It's not going to happen anytime soon. That would be ideal. And that's like a two-pronged approach is like parents talking to their kids about sex. And then also schools also teaching kids about sex. Because that way you get the full scope of education. Neither parents nor schools can be totally relied on. Because some people won't do it. Um, but as far as like being an adult and like, if you're getting really triggered talking about, you know, kids understanding sexuality or like, or needing comprehensive sex education, like to work on yourself, it's like, make a conscious effort to educate yourself. Like there's so many amazing, uh, Instagram, uh, sex positive people who are giving out really amazing sex education for free. Um, there are awesome websites like climax and oh my God, yes. And all these like amazing sex education websites that are so sex positive and awesome. And like educating yourself is a really good step because surrounding yourself with sex positive messaging can really help shift your personal view about it.
0: Mm. Yeah. Going back to environment and how how impactful our environment is on just who we're becoming and our beliefs and our beliefs about ourselves as well too, which could be used for positive or negative, but I I think those are great points. We'll link those in the show notes as well, too. So going back to my original question around uh, just creating a more sustainable change towards pleasure and sex positivity in the school system and just in our culture in general, I think, you know, we just covered our individual responsibility and really doing our own work. And then what are some other ways that we can start to make a change to, uh, create a different message for the future?
1: I mean, I think that we all kind of, it's going to take sort of like a shift in the cultural mindset towards like wanting to be more sex positive and like understand, like integrating sexuality into the way we, into the normal, like ways that we teach kids about things. Like we teach kids manners and we teach them, um, you know, how to be a good friend and how to be like, how to be a good person. And then we just never talk about sex. And it doesn't make any sense because sex is like a normal part of being a person. And like, even if you're uncomfortable with these conversations, you're uncomfortable talking about sex. It's really important that you do the work now because your kids are going to be able to sense your discomfort, even if you want to be sex positive with them. And it's kind of your job to educate them and your job to have these conversations and to not make them feel weird about it. Because if you aren't weird about it, you treat sex like everything else and you don't act like it's some scandalized thing. You can talk about it and your kids will feel comfortable coming to you with questions. And you're going to end up raising much more body positive, sex positive and secure kids who feel like they have autonomy over their own bodies.
0: Mm. I love that. And I mean, that, that creates this massive ripple effect in so many ways, just, just taking responsibility for that. And, um, I think that's so important. Just like you're saying, like that, this radical shift really starts with us individually and, and then pushing it out into our culture in different ways as well. Too, I see a lot of overlap with this in body image work, um, and how powerful it is to prioritize our own individual body acceptance and body image work work in order to make a cultural shift. And so I, I feel like there's a lot of parallels here and makes sense since it's our bodies, whether it's how you're, you're feeling about them sexually or just, um, aesthetically or from a sensory perspective as well too. So I'm curious if you have any information or education around the overlap with eating disorders and sex drive. I don't think we've ever talked about this on the show, but I, I know from my personal experience that was significantly affected when I was really struggling. I was it, is that true for you? Did you? I know you mentioned that you use sex as a I mean, way to it's, it's kind
1: definitely, of definitely. Oh, sorry, I'm interrupt you.
0: <laughs> no, no, I was just acknowledging that you've you've already mentioned that you've you've kind of used sex to validate yourself in a different way. But in terms of the actual biological drive towards sex and eating disorders, what can you share? I about mean, that?
1: there's definitely there's definitely connection with that in, in a couple of different ways. Um, when you are um, first of all, when you have a poor body image, like you don't feel good about yourself and you don't feel like comfortable in your own body, your sex drive will definitely be negatively impacted because when you're in a state of distress like that, your body can't really get aroused because it can't, it can't get into a state of relaxation that allows that process to start. Um, that's why things like anxiety, lack of sleep, stress, like those are all huge factors in, in libido. And they're, it's like stress is like libido's uh, kryptonite. And when you're in a state of when you're in, in an, eat, in the throes of an eating disorder and you're quite stressed out, quite distracted and you hate and you hate your body, you're not really going to be in a place to be relaxed enough to be aroused, nor are you going to feel comfortable enough your, in your skin to like want to have sex because mm-hmm. being, having sex and being naked with somebody, even naked with yourself is still quite vulnerable. Um, it's like the most vulnerable way, the most vulnerable thing we can do is like being naked with somebody else. So it's like, it's like, if you don't feel comfortable in your own body, the, the likeliness of you wanting to put yourself in that position rapidly decreases. And that's going to make you seek sec- sex out less often because mm-hmm. sex actually isn't a drive. It's not like eating or sleeping A drive actually denotes like something that you actually can't live without. And even though you may feel like you can't live without orgasms, cause like we've all been there, you feel like you actually can, you can technically live without them. So sex actually is born out of a of, of a of your body's reward system. So like the more positive sexual experiences you have, the more you want them. You hate your body or in the throes of an eating disorder, and you you stop seeking out sex because you're too you don't want to be naked with someone, you're gonna stop wanting it because you break the cycle of positive reward experience.
0: Mm. So interesting. And that makes so much sense. Um I'm curious, you just mentioned orgasm and I I don't know the statistics off the top of my head but what what are what is the research around people who can't experience orgasm why does that why is there a demographic of individuals who can't experience orgasm is there a way that that they can start to experience that what 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 do you know about it
1: yeah. I mean, so there are, are, there are, there is a small percentage of people, not really small, but like a, there is a percentage of people, some people who can't, who have experienced what's called pre-orgasmia or anorgasmia, which is like the inability to orgasm. Um, a lot of the time, the inability to orgasm is not a physical condition, but is rather the person just hasn't experienced, um, either stimulation that is enough to bring them to orgasm or has, or just hasn't figured out what stimulation they need in order to orgasm. Um, also like orgasm is also built a lot out of like your context. Like, do you feel safe with the person you're with? Do you feel sexy? Do you feel, do not feel stressed? There's a lot of like stuff that goes into it. It's a really complex bio uh, psychological and physiological combined like experience. So it's not as like simple as it sounds, even though Mm -hmm. it can be, it can seem that way. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, I think I'm glad that you mentioned the like the psychological element of that as well too, because especially as it relates to foreplay, I mean, there is that, from what I understand, just on a personal level, like there is that um, that blend of both where it's it's not either or, it's both and um, that that goes into a sexual experience so much. So, what for anybody who's interested in having a more robust sex life, what are the best ways that people can get into that mindset and also physical action steps that people can take that they might not be thinking of right now? Um, Let's just, let's start with somebody who feels like I'm having sex. Things are good, not great. I want them to be better. I'm in a neutral to low perspective on my body. Um, and I just want to take the next step forward. What are some ways that people can shift into more of that sex positive space and in terms of foreplay and just sexual experiences in general?
1: Sure. I mean, I think one of the the, the first place to start it would be to like ask this person like how they actually define sex. Mm. Because we have like, you know, a cultural understanding that like penis and vagina sex is the ol- is like the only real sex and everything else is just like foreplay or like add-ons. But actually like I, we like to psych, psychosexual therapists who like to think of it as it's called core play, which is like anything that is enhancing sexual, uh, feelings and is like, like anything from kissing to like, to oral sex, to hand sex, to sex with toys, like, and, and penis and vagina sex and penis and anal sex, like anything that's all, that's all sex. It's all, it's all in the same playing field. Anything that brings you pleasure deserves equal weight. So I think a big shift in that mindset is like hugely important for somebody with a clitoris because we have this understand this idea that like, you're supposed to be able to have orgasms from penis and vagina sex. And the, the truth is that the vast majority of people with a clitoris are not gonna have orgasms that way. That's like, it's not, there aren't a lot of touch sensitive nerve endings in the vagina. And it's like, and some people do orgasm that way. Don't get me wrong, some people can but the vast majority of people need their clitoris is simulated, which is on the outside of their body and trying to have an orgasm during vaginal sex would be kind of like rubbing a guy's ball sack and then expecting him to orgasm that way. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, some, like someone, some people do, some people might, but if you're not touching their, a penis, it's pretty unlikely. So it's like, we need to give clitorises the same way. So I think that shift would be really important because like there's, we have this mindset too, especially if you have, if you don't have great body image um, that is, directly linked to feelings of worthiness and women are already taught that our pleasure is an afterthought like it's a bonus if uh if you get to have pleasure and if not then like whatever it's like it's not mandatory and the fact that women are women and vulva owners like are not are not taught to prioritize their pleasure and that like orgasms are not mandatory is like it's ridiculous it's, it's unbelievable to me the way I like to think about it is like if like you're at a restaurant and you're with your partner and he was served, I'm doing heterosexual couples here, just so everybody knows I'm being heteronormative here. But like you're at a dinner with your, with your partner and he has served a five course, delicious five course meal. And you're served a packet of saltines. You are going to be so fucking pissed and you're going to write a Yelp review and tell all your friends not to go to that restaurant. So why would you expect a packet of saltines out of your sex life? Mm. Oh, so that's, that's that rant. Mm -hmm. And then, so anyway, I was like, and some practical tips. So the first big practical tip I can give is like masturbate, masturbate, masturbate. It's like the biggest radical act of self-love you can do for yourself. It can, like the mind, the psychological and physiological connection, the mind-body connection is so important in experiencing good sex. And it's so important in improving body image and connecting to your body and getting inside of this, it's what it's called, uh, getting into an introspective space where you're able to actually like connect your mind with your body on like a granular level. Like that's extremely powerful. And it's a huge, uh, a huge way of boosting self-confidence because you become aware of like, of what your body can do. Mm. Um, And then additionally, like masturbation helps you figure out exactly what you need to have orgasms because your partner is not gonna know how to give you orgasms if you don't know how to give yourself orgasm. They are not a mind reader and it's not their job to magically know what makes you tick like you're responsible for your orgasm. So you need to take charge of that. And that, and then that automatically gives you more agency, more autonomy and more confidence in the bedroom.
0: Mm-hmm. So in terms of masturbation, what what do people need to know? What do we need to know about this? And because obviously we have hands, if, if, pe- if people listening, they do have hands and two hands. Um, so there's that, but what are other ways that we can masturbate and just begin exploring our sexuality and just our relationship with sex for ourselves.
1: I mean, I am like the vibrator fairy, so like if you can get your <laughs> if you can get a vibrator, it looks like it's such an amazing tool to have. They they are not all of these like they're not like the sex in the city pink rabbit where it's like extremely phallic and huge. There's so many cute <laughs> pro, like very gender neutral products out there that are not scary. Like they're so, so, and they're so cute. Yeah. And like, you don't have to get some giant sex toy. Mm -hmm. They have like little, a palm vibrator or a finger vibrator. Skin has a great line. That's really inexpensive and has like, it's made from good quality materials. Dame products has amazing products that are really, really cute. Zalo has great products. These are like companies that are the, um, well, Dame and Zalo are run by women. So they actually are people who own a vulva and actually know what people want. Mm -hmm. Um, and they make really high quality stuff. And like, so that's a really important first step. I also think it's like, it's such a, it's such like a, a beautiful love letter to yourself to buy yourself a sex toy. It's like, you're doing, it's like, you're doing something so special for yourself. Mm -hmm. And a vibrator is a gift that keeps on giving. Like it's amazing. (laughs) It's true. Uh, And then additionally, (laughs) a real, yeah, it's so true. Additionally, like a high quality water-based lube that doesn't have any parabens or glycerin in it. Lube is like your best freaking friend other than your vibrator. You're kind of like a, in a threesome with the lube and the vibrator and you should, and like, we also have like another lie is that like, if you use lube, like it must be because you're not aroused enough or you're not wet enough or you're broken, bullshit. Everybody should be using lube. It makes sensations better. It creates a, a nice barrier between the, the vulva, which is very delicate and your toys. And it's amazing. And everyone should be using lube all the time because trying to have sex without lube of any kind. It's like trying to go down a water slide without any water. Mm,
0: I love that analogy. That's so good. I feel like that's so true. I have a question about masturbation in terms of expectations. I love your thoughts on this. So it, it, if you are using a vibrator, that's a very different sensation than just straight up penetration, penetration, or just really any type of um, human sexual experience without a sex toy. So how does that play a role in partnered sex in terms of just setting a really realistic expectation without incorporating a sex toy? Um, And just being mindful of that as well, too.
1: You do do you mean with a partner?
0: Yeah, a part partnered sex without a sex toy, because just yeah. the sensations are so different.
1: But yeah, I mean, the sensations are really different. Well, first of all, your toys are totally have space in your sex life as well with your partner. So like, that's absolutely an option but if you want to not use a sex toy or you're not going to use a sex toy like encouraging like asking your partner for oral sex is like a huge huge important thing i mean of course it's not for everybody not everybody likes it um but it's the most reliable way that people with clitoris have orgasms so having and like having an orgasm first before having any kind of penetration will help get you aroused it makes sex more comfortable um And it makes, it puts you more in the mood because like you're, you're not just trying to stick something in when you're not fully aroused, it could cause not only be like not pleasurable, but it can cause pain.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Talk, talk to us about communication because I think this is where this is the biggest hurdle for so many people, perhaps knowing what they want and just feeling that shame around being able to ask for it and communicating what what they need or what they like to their partner. So do you have any suggestions in the best way to break this barrier and and just start speaking up and advocating for what you want in the bedroom or wherever you're having sex?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there are a couple of good, I have a couple of good tips for this. Like if you want, first of all, masturbating will really help you get really clear about what you want. And the more you know exactly what you want, the easier it is to ask for it. So that's like a big step in it. Cause like, if you're not totally sure, it's going to be like impossible to ask for it. Um, so that's number one is really hone in like exactly what it is kind of simulation. You like figure that out first, and then you'll be able to talk to it more easily. Now, if you want to talk to your partner about something that you want in the bedroom, like you want more oral sex, you want more hand sex, you want to bring your toy in whatever. Um, it's not a great idea to bring that stuff up in a sexual context because they're already in a really vulnerable place. And so is your partner. And when we ask, if we get, um, if you say something that could be perceived as defensive, because sometimes people will take like asking for something as like a direct assault to like their character which is like they shouldn't but you know people are people are emotional creatures mm-hmm. um so like bringing it up in a non-sexual context like over dinner or like when you at- if you ask them if you could have a chat about your sex life in the living room or something that's like a much better neutral place to be talking about sexuality and you just bring it up really casually to be like And I do, I suggest doing what is called a shit sandwich, Um, which is where you say something really nice and then you give the feedback and then you close with something nice. Mm. So like, babe, you're so good in the bedroom. I loved what we had last night. You know, you're amazing with your mouth. I would love if you would give me some oral sex because I just love when you do that. Oh my God, you look so cute tonight.
0: (laughs) I love it. Serve it up.
1: Yeah. It's like, you give a little feedback, but like you make them feel good at the same time. Cause like, I'm always like, I'm not, I'm not a fan of like catering to the male ego, but the fact is like, we all have male, we all have not male egos. We all have egos. And like, we do need to be treated with some love and some empathy because like, you have to think about how you would want someone to approach you with information like that. Like, yes, you want the information. Of course you want to make your partner feel good, but you also don't need them to be like, you know what? You fucking suck at sex. Can you please like my clip? Cause you would be mm-hmm. like, that's so mean. Yeah.
0: Do you recommend this for same-sex relationships too? this form of communication or are you really speaking at heterosexual relationships? Oh no,
1: it's, it works for everybody. I just okay. did heterosexual relationships because it's like, yeah, in same-sex relationships, this like communication issues seem to be much less, um, much less of a problem. Yes, it happens, of course. And like communication issues happen across the spectrum with all relationships, but in same-sex relationships, there's like, with with all the owners anyway, like two women, it's much- there seems to be just like a much higher degree of empathy when the male ego and toxic masculinity are not present. Mm. Um, plus like women know people with vulvas know what vulvas want to feel and vice true. versa. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> so sort of generally better at it. No offense. All my male people out there, but you know, you know, it's
0: true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Uh what about foreplay? What are some what are some ideas that you have around foreplay that people might not be considering? If someone's kind of just in their standard rhythm and they want to shake it up, but they don't really know how to do that, what are some creative ideas that are kind of low hanging that we can reach for?
1: There is a lot of stuff. I mean, the thing is, is like the, you know, I was talking about how it's a really complex psychological and physiological experience, is like sexuality. So, like, start. Building arousal throughout the day, like start sexting, sending flirty pictures, get those fires going like early because that's all foreplay and that will get you like so worked up mentally that you'll be like rearing to go by the time it's like sexy time later. Mm. So that's always a really good idea is like flirt with your partner, send sexy texts. Remember that like the arousal process can be take, can be started at the beginning of the day and can last all day. And then when you get home, like that's when like it goes down. And that, and that makes it way hotter. So I'd definitely suggest that Mm -hmm. Um, oral sex is so underrated and it needs to be like front and center of any sexual experience. And it's not, and foreplay is not a thing. Foreplay is everything. So this is all stuff that like, is just like non-penetration and penetration is not the only real kind of sex. So start to put like your pleasure and stuff that actually feels good to you, like center stage. Mm. There's like, oh, there's so much stuff. Lube during during foreplay, lube during sex should be an, an absolute must. Like have lube on your nightstand and use it liberally because it makes everything better. The wetter, the better always. It mm-hmm. increases all sensations and you will be more likely to orgasm. So
0: don't sleep on it. Love it. What's your favorite lube? Are you allowed to say?
1: Oh uh, yeah, I have a couple. Um, I'm really into Jimmy Jane's water-based lube right now because it comes in like a really nice like glass- bottle and it looks really fancy Mm. and I love it and on that same note like Zalo has this water-based lube that's incredible that's like a bottle is gold and I feel like such a bougie bee (laughs) so like those are my two of the moment and as far as silicone-based lube go, I like I like skins all night long lube because it like really stays on there it does the job
0: okay cool i um, curious about scheduling sex what are your mm-hmm. thoughts should we be doing this is it work for some people and not others <clears throat> what's the 411
1: yeah I'm actually a big proponent of it like there's a there's like a there's this idea that like if you schedule sex like it's going to take all like the hotness out of it but that's like, it's only if you're doing it wrong to be honest um, if you start looking at sex like it's like this chore and you're like dreading it then yeah that's like that's not going to be super fun but actually like, that's a great opportunity to be doing the, the sex, the sex thing and like getting the fires going all day. Like, instead of thinking it as something like you have to do, it's something you should be looking forward to do. And then additionally, like having sex, like on the calendar, it really does give you something to look forward to. It also does not always have to be like, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, penetration and moving mm-hmm. on with your day. Like it doesn't have to even be penetration. It doesn't have to be sex, It just be like naked cuddling or like massages or just like laying in bed and like being naked together and talking like it's about creating intimacy and enhancing that like sexual flame between the two of you. It's not, not necessarily like it, sh- it doesn't need to be something that needs to be dreaded.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
1: actually something that's like, cause the thing is is like sex is like a house plant, your sexuality and your sex life are like a house plant. It needs water, it needs sun, it needs TLC or it will wither and it will die. Mm-hmm. So putting sex on the schedule as like giving it the priority and the importance that it deserves.
0: I love that. Okay, so a question is coming up around that because I feel like one of the most popular conversation topics just in when friends get together, certainly with my friends and whatnot, is how, how often do you have sex? What's the right amount to have sex? How often do you masturbate? Like, what's the right amount? Just I know that people can easily fall into a comparison trap with this, but...
1: Mm -hmm.
0: what, what's healthy, what's, what's kind of a, a number to aim for, for solo sex and, uh, partnered sex?
1: Sure. I mean, so first of all, we qualify by saying like, there is actually is no right number of orgasms to have every week. Cause like it's gonna, it's seriously going to, to uh vary from person to person. And the only person who gets to answer the question, or people I should say, are the people who are in the relationship. So like mm-hmm. if you're completely fine having sex twice a week and your partner is fine with that, you have no problems. If you're having sex once a month and both of you are fine with that, that's a fine. Like it's like you guys are the you guys are the only people who get to make that decision. Now if one of you wants to have sex like every day and the other person wants to have sex like twice a week that's where you're going to run into some need for negotiation. And there can totally be like a middle ground that's found there. But like, it's not about like, Oh, if I'm not having this many orgasms a week, then I'm a failure. Like I'm not having good sex. It's like, that's like such a waste of of, like thought space and energy because like, why is that? It's like, if you're satisfied with your sex life and you like what's happening, then you're doing it right. Mm -hmm. With that, with all of that being said, there has been some data that has shown that couples who have sex once a week, um, tend to be like more much more tend to be happier than couples that report overall re- more relationship satisfaction than couples who have sex less than that. But the data also shows that if you have sex more than once a week, there isn't an increase in happiness generally. Interesting. So yeah. that's something to just so people think you're supposed to be having three sex three times a week. You do not have to do that. You don't even have to have sex once a week. I'm just saying like it's yeah. less frequent than people think.
0: Yeah, I I know. I feel like our our culture has this idea where it's like, if you're not having sex every other day, something is off. And I mean, I love that you're making this point that the right amount is what is right for you and your partner and deciding that together rather than looking at what everybody else is doing. I think that's so valuable and so important and, and something, a great takeaway for this community as well too. Um, (laughs) multiple orgasms how do we have them is this possible what like is this only reserved for certain people what are your thoughts and facts
1: um so you know multiple orgasms totally a possible thing will everybody have them no but the thing is is like if you have one orgasm and then you're like i'm done like i'm good like that's fine you do not have to like push yourself like this is the thing with porn has pushed people with vulvas pretty much everybody though into this like sexual Olympic headspace where like, we have to have multiple orgasms and be squirting all the time and doing like the pile driver sex position and like all this stuff. that it's like, that's not even fun. So like, if you have one orgasm and you're like, I'm good, then like, then you're good. You, you, you're satisfied. That's fabulous. Now with people with vulvas, especially we do have less of what's called the latency period, which is like the time after you orgasm, um your bot your hormones like kind of return to a stasis level. And then um actually with male-bodied people, most of the time they will be so overcome with a chemical called prolactin that they will just fall asleep. But vulva owners have a much shorter latency period. So after like a few sometimes a few minutes, sometimes like half hour, you might be like ready to go again. And if you are, go for it. Cause like you totally can. Mm. With that being said, if you had a clitoral orgasm, your clitoris might be like a bit sensitive after having that much had that much stimulation, and it could be like a little overly sensitive. So just like be careful with it and try different moves, like with your sex toy or hands, like circling the clitoris or like tapping on it or using your labia as like a um, you can put your labia like over your clitoris and use it as like a barrier for like more muted stimulation, and that can be quite pleasurable as opposed to like going right for the clitoris because you might be like, oh, that's too much.
0: Mm-hmm. So good. I love, I love everything that you're saying. I'm just soaking it up. It's all so interesting and so practical as well, too. Um, I'm curious about just increasing our libido and how we can do that in alternative ways beyond sex and just individually speaking, I mean, are there foods that increase libido? Are there things that we should be watching or listening to or activities we should be doing besides just masturbating? What what really gets that going?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of factors that help with libido, like especially um, like lowering stress levels, which I know is like, oh yeah, Gigi, easier said than done. But like anything you can do that lowers stress levels is like, it's, it's so important for libido because your libido cannot manifest if your body, if your nervous system is in like a a freeze or flight stakes, we're in fight, flight, or freeze. Um, It's like a high panic state and your body, it's like, it's a, a, a rollover from, um, from like prehistoric times when like we were hunters and gatherers and like the fight, flight response is like, oh, there's a lion coming, which means it is not time to procreate right now. I need to run or like fight this lion. Mm -hmm. And so your body is like, nope. And it sends your brain sends a signal to your body to be like, no arousal your body can't get around out in that state. So lowering stress, big, important thing. Also, like I said, you know, beyond, I'm saying like, there's really nothing beyond masturbation because like the more orgasms you have, the more you will want. It's like a reward system. So the more you have, the more you're likely to have, you're more likely to want them. And like another one of these, like another myth. there's like so many of them. Is that like sex toys will make you not want partnered sex. That's actually the opposite is true. Studies show that like the more you masturbate, the more orgasms you have, the more partnered sex you crave. Mm. because it's all part of that reward system um there aren't actually um foods that are scientifically proven to increase libido um maca root um is like something you can put in schools and it does have some interesting um some interesting information of like how it boosts sexual libido but like as far as like scientific uh research goes it's pretty sparse so like stuff like oysters and chocolate and stuff. There isn't a lot of like scientific evidence to support that, but if it works for you, then keep doing it. Yeah.
0: If it's a placebo, I mean, I'm a big fan of placebos. That's amazing. Is it libido or libido? Like, can you say either, or or is it, is it, is the true way to pronounce it? I've never
1: heard anyone say libido before, but (laughs) you you do you.
0: (laughs) I mean, I'm not surprised. I'm like classically saying words wrong all the time. So (laughs) Call me in.
1: (laughs) We're all, we're all in the same boat. We're all just trying to live, man. I know.
0: I know. Well, I love that you emphasize stress management, stress management and the importance of that um, in terms of just your libido and just sex, sexual experience in general. And one of the things that comes to mind in this community is just how, how our bodies are prone to heightened stress in, eating disorders, disordered eating, high diet culture, all of these things. And we don't even really consider that that's what's happening. And so I think that that is absolutely something to pay attention to, um, you know, in tandem with everything that you're saying as well, too. What are some of your favorite stress management techniques?
1: Um, I have a couple that I really like. I do, um, I, with clients, I do something called, it's called a grounding exercise where, um, what's one of the, like a grounding exercise where like if you're starting to feel like panicked or you're starting to feel like really overwhelmed is to like be in a place, you have to be in a place like if you're in your home and name five things around the apartment that, or house that like you can see and you know exactly where they are. Like there's my fridge, like there's the stove, there's like my salt and like you, and it helps you like your brain connect with your body to remind you like where you are and to tell yourself that you're safe, to be like, I'm at home, I'm safe and those messages can, will really start to kick in. So that can be very much like, cause when you become really stressed, a lot of people will either panic or become dissociated where like you leave your body essentially because it's like, it's too stressful to disconnect. So that can be a really important exercise. And then another thing I really like is box breathing where you breathe in um, for, for four seconds, hold your breath for the count of four, and then breathe out for four seconds and then repeat about eight, 10 times. And the oxygen that's like coming in and out of your lungs will activate the sympathetic nervous system and will calm your, your body down and will give you like a, a reset.
0: Love. So good. I'm such a big fan of stress management and however people can incorporate more of that and myself included. I think we all need a little bit more these days, especially. Um, This is so valuable. Do you feel like there's anything else that you want to share or educate on today or just speak your truth around? Because I think you dropped so much gold and this is also a really clear entryway into steps forward for a lot of people. I have a just a really good intuition about that. But before you go, is there anything else that you feel like is just important for this community to be aware of or learn?
1: I mean, I think I would just say that like every single person deserves like every orgasm they want and the most like beautiful and fulfilling sex life that they deserve and the, that they that they want. And you deserve that a hundred percent. And you should not be afraid to pursue that. And you deserve, life is way too short for shitty sex. So please, please pursue more pleasurable sex for yourself. Masturbate, get sex toys and just like embrace this for yourself because it is like, it's absolutely life-changing. It's almost like it becomes very hard to hate on yourself when you're orgasming like every day.
0: Mm. I, I heard recently, I can't remember where it's from, but it said an orgasm a day is like the new apple a day. Um, I'm
1: the one who said that really that was me a sexologist says why an orgasm a day keeps the doctor away yay oh my god that was mine that is I 100% stand by that
0: (laughs) oh my god I'm quoting you in the middle of our conversation without even realizing it I freaking love it that is genius I've said that to so many people and I have every single time a reference that is from somebody else but I never knew who it was from so you heard it here first and we'll absolutely make sure we put that in the show notes as well too. Um, Where can everybody find you, connect with you, get into your world? We'll link it in the show notes Yeah,
1: you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Gigi Angle. And then my website is missggangle.com where you can find all of the blog posts that I write about various sex topics um, as well as my resource list, which has amazing psychosexual education, reads, podcasts, novels, all of the good stuff. And then, oh, and educational websites, of course. And that is also where you can find a link to my Substack newsletter, just called the G Spot, which unpacks sexuality from a feminist lens every Monday, and comes with lots of fun links to all the cool stuff I found that week.
0: Awesome, thank you so much for being here, speaking your truth, sharing your story, all of the information and wisdom that you dropped in. I really appreciate it and just appreciate the work that you're contributing to the world, it's amazing. Thank you so much, this was a real blast. Thanks for hanging out with us today. If you'd like more information for coaching with me, plus resources for creating a kick-ass relationship with food, body and your life, head to CaitlinParsons.com. I'm sending you love, confidence, and courage into your week ahead.